Hello, I'm Storm Glor with AmplifyMusic.org and the University of Colorado Denver. And this is another session of Amplify Music Communities. In this program, we travel around the world. It's an extension of our Amplify Music Conference, and we take a look at various states, regions, cities, countries, and see what's going on in these music ecosystems. We get together with leaders from these music ecosystems, and today we're meeting with leaders from the second largest music market in the world, Japan. We're going to have a conversation with April Pareto from uh, an artist management at Inter, Inter Edoro Management. I'm probably going to stumble over a few of these words for sure. Lauren Rose Coker from this, well, from Zyko, where she is the COO and founder. And Tak Umazawa, Director of Japan Nighttime Economy Association. Welcome, panelists. Hello. Good to see you. Thank you. We are... We are absolutely <laughs> we are absolutely on on opposite time zones here so I appreciate you all being here and and working with us on that but uh, you know I'm gonna start by asking the the most obvious questions ask ask you to tell us about your companies and and your roles and, and the area of the music industry in which you work and and why don't we start with April will you share that information with us uh, sure. Um, I live in Tokyo, and for the past about 10 years, I've been working in artist management and offering artist services from management, education, consulting, booking, label partnering, uh, label or distribution hunting, showcasing, uh, publisher connection, and more. Predominantly, I work with domestic Japanese artists, uh, but I also do that for overseas artists who are interested in entering into the Japanese market. And I do help the Japanese artists I work with also go overseas for those markets if that's what they're interested in as well. I think that covers it. I did work mm -hmm. in the U.S. in the music industry before coming here for about mm -hmm. seven years in festival organization and radio artist PR. Okay. Talk. Tell us about you. Hi, I'm Tak, based in Tokyo. I am the co-founder and director of uh, JNEA, uh, J-N-E-A, which stands for Japan Nighttime Economy Association. I am also assuming the role of a Japan chairman of a global management consultancy, A.T. Carney. As the director of JNEA, I have lobbied for amending uh, No Dancing After Midnight Law several years ago. And uh, we have supported our music and live entertainment industry uh, since uh, COVID-19 uh, broke out uh, with um, basically working with the politicians and the government officials uh, to develop uh, rescue packages uh, for um, infected or for the people affected uh, by the pandemic. Uh, also, last year, uh, JNR, the association, published a Creative Footprint Tokyo uh, with the support by Vibe Lab. And I also sit on several government committees, uh, including the one for uh, Japan Tourism Agency on developing strategy for luxury inbound tourism market. Hmm. Fantastic. And Lauren, let's hear about your journey here. Hi. Yeah. So I've been in Japan 12 years. 
Um, I used to work at a concert promoter and then I spent six years in Sony Music Japan. And two years ago, I founded Zyko, which is a ticketing platform and it's a white label ticketing platform. So it allows artists or festivals or any event organizer to create their own sort of branded ticketing agency, gives them all the tools they need. And we, uh, our company had a very big pivot last year with Corona uh, affecting the live industry so so terribly that we shifted to be to sell tickets to live streams. And so using our system, you could sell a ticket to a real world event or sell a ticket to a live stream, to a video online concert, things like that. And so we've uh, paid back over 50 million US dollars in the last year to artists who have held concerts online, uh, mostly here in Japan. So yeah, that's that's me. And that's a nice pivot. Um, yeah, very yeah. Good, we very were very good. lucky. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, tell us what, or, you know, in terms of getting back to the new normal, as, as everyone's saying, what do you all see as your biggest challenges? I'll, I'll go back to you, April. What, what do you see as the biggest challenges ahead? Uh, well, I think within what I do specifically, I haven't slowed down. So COVID did not slow down my work, but it weighted what I do differently. So before, I was helping people more plot a tour, uh, a domestic artist plotting tours here or overseas or an overseas artist plotting a tour here. Obviously we're not doing that right now, <laughs> but what happened is I was spending less time doing artist education on how to use their social media better or how to do live streams. Mm -hmm. And now it's flipped. So some local artists still do shows, so that's not totally out of the realm, but they're not going really out of the city. So they're just staying within their local areas, doing very small shows. Definitely nobody's coming in or going out. So less time for that, more time for the other. So I think the challenges that I'm facing is more in interaction with artists trying to educate artists that this may be the new normal. You can't just wait at home until, oh, well, I'll just wait until I can do touring again. Then I'll get some fans. Then I'll release music. It may not ever be the way it was before. And certainly it's going to take some time. So I guess the greatest obstacle is education of the artist as to what they should be doing in order for their growth. Mm -hmm. I see. And talk. What do you see as the challenges? Well, I see the situation a little bit differently. Um, I believe that the Japan um, has responded to the pandemic uh, too excessively, uh, considering the degree of damage that COVID-19 has caused Japan. Mm -hmm. You may know that uh, the number of infected people cumulatively is still less than 600,000. And the number of deaths is a little over 10,000 over the year. So the, the degree, the magnitude of the damage is probably um, about one in 100 uh, compared with the many other uh, advanced countries. But even with that, the government has taken a kind of similar measures 
uh, to uh, many other countries uh, in Europe and the States. I see. So um, I would say um, probably we should try to um, take a more normal approach uh, to the current situation uh, while looking at um, the, the changes in the situation uh, carefully. And uh, we need to change the attitude and mindset of the government. And um, the government attitude is uh, strongly um, in, affected by uh, what the society as a whole think and what uh, the med media, mass media, uh, presents uh, to the society. So uh, we really need to work on uh, those two fronts and basically changing the perception and educating them to become more rational about the assessment of the situation. Mm, very well put. Um, then let's uh, let's uh, ask Lauren. What 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 do you see? Okay, so I think we're really finding like a balance between people holding events online with a digital component that they're also streaming, like maybe at reduced capacity versus a full-on festival and kind of mm -hmm. like searching for the right business model because there is room to monetize in different ways. But when you cancel an offline event completely, you know, or when you're forced to not even have it, you can't, you can't even plan your, your business properly. So I think it's really like, finding this balance and when the government is sending kind of mixed messages over okay can 50 percent of people gather is it up to the organizer is it up to the venue like are people going to attack the artist if they have a show for being irresponsible you know i think some of that needs to be i wish there was like stages about you know okay we're going back to this we're going back to this and kind of agreed upon wow. rules because our clients have a lot of time planning their events whether it's like you know, can we even gather to make a live stream or is that too many people in a room, mm -hmm. you know? And so uh, we see our clients like really kind of struggling to find the right way to have a show. Um, and they don't seem to get a lot of guidance on that. And, and I think that's some like a challenge that uh, we need to figure out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's take a further look ahead beyond 2021, and let's take an, an optimistic look at this now and think about what successes you think will make the biggest difference in the, in the music economy there in Japan. I'm, I'm asking you again, putting on, putting on the crystal ball or, or, or you know, going out on the edge and saying what might happen that will be the biggest successes that will help the economy there. April, you want to take a stab at that? Uh, sure. Well, for me, again, in artist management, I think something that would help the country's music economy is less government support. I don't know, say less government support of anime music and idol groups, and putting more of that or or increasing their support of regular rock, pop, neo soul, other genres. At present. Japan seems very interested in sharing the pop culture of anime music, game music, idol groups. But for a regular rock group, pop group, some other genre, the, the assistance or support that they can get is quite limited. And in some cases, they feel that there is none. Um, I know some large major artists have spoken out about this as well, because they may be major here rock groups, but they get nothing no assistance in export 
as it were, from the government. They're doing it on their own. So I do think that that could be something to look at is maybe leveling, like some support to all genres and instead of waiting it for kind of pop culture, anime culture would be good. Um, and I also think that more maybe sister city partnerships could help. So for instance, uh, recently I have been talking to my hometown in Memphis as a Memphis export music committee. So the idea of partnering, bring Memphis artists here, bring Tokyo artists there, uh, the same way I do with an agency in Kuala Lumpur and an agency in Bangkok. Some more of these partnering agencies where each side supports the other in their export-import type of methods. I think that that would work. Uh, that's all I can think of for now. I may think of something <laughs> in a moment. <laughs> well, if you think of something else, just chime right in. And, <laughs> and in the meantime, I'll ask Talk what he thinks about that. Well, I would say vaccines for everybody. And uh, once vaccines um, become available, uh, mm -hmm. probably uh, customers uh, are more ready to come back to um, the offline events. As I said earlier, uh, we have uh, responded too, too excessively to the situation, but still um, probably um, the fear remains among um, maybe a majority of the customers um, uh, who, who were used to um, go to large, large events, um, but uh, not, not any longer. So uh, that's one thing. And the other thing is um, a better system, an industrialized system to allow DJs to perform online and monetize it. Um, like many other countries, uh, artists and the DJs are shifted online uh, last spring, and um, there have been so many online performance events, but mm. not many of them have monetized them sufficiently. Mm. Mm -hmm. So there are uh, so many uh, free online events, and also uh, the country lacks uh, the industry-wide system, industry system uh, to um, get the clearance uh, for the use of um, uh, songs, uh, published songs uh, for mm -hmm. DJs. So uh, it's, it's really hard for them uh, to, to make money out of um, playing somebody else's songs. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the that's, uh, issue uh, we really need to fix. Mm, yeah, for sure. And we might come back to that in a, in a few seconds here with another question I'll have. But for now, Lauren, what, what do you see? in your crystal ball looking at the future? I was going to say I agree with talk. <laughs> oh, okay, um, you can do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, that the everyone's forced online and the digital infrastructure around events, you know, there's certain things. There's a ticketed online event. There's tipping. There's interactions mm -hmm. you can have. Um, there's a variety of ways to monetize. You could buy HD audio, for example, uh, through us, mm -hmm. things like that. But I think um, that we're just getting started. And so there's a lot of ways to kind of build up this digital infrastructure to, to strengthen like the event industry or, or artists activities. And the best thing about, mm -hmm. about performing online, unfortunately the monetization changes the, the business model. But one really good thing is that anyone from around the world can join. So you do kind of open up globally because you can have people around the world joining this live performance. 
And so if there was better monetization tools and also like either industry-wide or government-level support for digital marketing initiatives too, where the, the main promotion vehicle for Japanese artists or labels say is going to be online instead of what it used to be, which is maybe, you know, finding a, a um, someone to distribute your music in Europe or, or something. I mean, that's still super, super important. There's nothing more important than that, but there's a whole suite of digital tools you can use to promote artists globally and having that like industry-wide or government-wide support for Japanese artists to get that reach, I think would be a mm-hmm. huge, huge, uh, interesting development in, in the industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there are certainly platforms to be used to be monetizing, but in my experience, I find a lot of artists, unless they're major label, a lot of artists are nervous to use them. So they can monetize through showroom or they can monetize through Nico Nico. But again, if they aren't major label, they are very hesitant to ask for money to be online. They have this kind of mental attitude that I should only charge if it's in person or a physical product. If it's just me online, maybe nobody's going to pay. So, again, maybe also in addition to better platforms that they can use, but also the mindset that you're putting out a creative endeavor. So whether it's live or a physical product or online, go ahead and monetize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, as uh, Laura um, explained earlier, uh, without going global, it's really hard to get on uh, the similar level of revenues from a series of online performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's think about um, famous rock band. Uh, a rock band will go tour uh, doing maybe 30 concerts at 30 different cities if um, uh, the focus is offline events. If, if they shift perfectly online, they can do only one or two online performances, and that's mm-hmm. it. And um, they may be able to get about the same number of customers, but they cannot charge the same uh, ticket price. That means uh, reduced revenue uh, mm-hmm. for uh, one season. So uh, if you go, you go global and uh, develop a new customer base outside of the country, uh, it will give you a new opportunity. But uh, without doing that, uh, it's still a difficult situation for them. Mm. Yeah, the, the math just doesn't work out. I, I get that. Um, At least so far. Yeah. While we're on the subject of artists, uh, in, in a sense, I think I said I'd come back to Tox comment earlier. In a sense, I probably already know the answer to some of this, but can can it's thinking of the artists, can you think of any other initiatives that would would support them directly in in moving forward? And you know, I'll make this a two-part question too. Were there any existing issues pre-pandemic that still remain that need to be fixed for artists? And I'll just let anyone who wants to take a stab at that reply? Well, let, let me go first. Um, we didn't have a safety net for artists mm-hmm. uh, who work as a freelancer. So even before the pandemic, uh, their life is not was not necessarily an easy one uh, for many of them. And uh, 
COVID-19 situation uh, gave a really serious damage. Um, 80% of uh, all the revenues from uh, events were gone last year. Uh, so that affected many artists as well as uh, lighting and sound engineers uh, working at those venues. Mm-hmm. So that was the challenge uh, they were faced with even before the COVID, uh, but, but had the serious damage uh, due to the COVID. Okay. Anyone else want to address that question? I guess I'm thinking sometimes kind of grassroots on the ground, certain venue families. Uh, so they are kind of banding together rather than competing and banding together to host events with uh, very low initial cost to the artists so that they can perform because it's helpful to both. I mean, if you can get people in um like 25% capacity in and do a live stream. Everybody can share the income. And I'm seeing more and more small daily venues doing collaborative events with other venues that normally would be their competitor, but they are working together to say, oh, okay, let's open up the space uh, as free rehearsal space during the day. And then at night, instead of an organizer having to pay X as the rental rate, we're going to do 25% of that rate and then do a different juggling of the tickets uh, percentage-wise. So I think the community... Uh, from like the indie or small label standpoint, the community itself is coming together and making their own initiatives to support themselves. Mm-hmm. That's in, that very interesting to hear and, 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 a, and a great perspective, April. Thank you. Um, Lauren, you can take a pass or you could you could respond to that either way. Sure, I'll, I'll jump in. I mean, I think to tie the two comments together, if you ah, there we go. That. Yeah, I mean, thinking okay. about um, like community support structures and and how many whether artists or audio engineers or lighting designers are freelance, and that when you have an emergency and government help, so much of it is limited to organizations with like the ability and history to do all this paperwork, and um, it's like how do you support an individual? you know, doing their best that doesn't necessarily have like institutional backing in terms of a big promoter or a big label. And so I think that's really um, been highlighted around this. It's like, okay, individuals coming together, communities coming together. Can we make room in the initiatives for those people? Because that really is like the backbone of where something like music comes from. (laughs) You know, it doesn't come from like a major label. It comes from a collection Mm -hmm. of individuals, you know, 90% of the time. So um, so yeah, I think that's really something important to highlight. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for bringing those, those ideas together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. Um, so let's shift from artists to the stakeholders for you all in your individual positions and with your own companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as your stakeholders, what are their priorities? Short-term, long-term, however you want to take a look at it. What are their highest priorities right now? And uh, I'll I'll let anyone jump in on that one too. Uh, okay, so I guess I have different stakeholders from artists to venues I work with. But just speaking mm-hmm. of artists, uh, any major artist I work with, most of them have invested their money fairly wisely. So this mm-hmm. is not going to put them on the street. So that's not their concern. Their concern is not can I pay rent or can I buy food today but maintaining the connection with the audience. And of course, 
making some income. Uh, so a lot of their priorities are how to restructure what they usually did. So if you're an artist that's usually performing in an arena, uh, restructuring your show setup and how you do things to say, instead of doing one show for 12,000 people, we're going to need to do three shows for 5,000 people. So how do we streamline our show? How do we use less equipment? How do we change our lighting? So it's a lot of uh, priority and planning on that. And for small artists, of course, it's, you know, how to grow as usual. Um, again, educating on, yes, you should do a live stream, whether it's for pay or not, you should be doing something. Skilling up their social media, because a lot of artists have thought social media was just announce a show not really as a engagement type of thing. So doing that and the venues, I think as, as a stakeholder, their key is to keep from closing down. So I think they are trying to adapt again through joining with other venues and sharing some audience or shows and making kind of the no audience or low audience live that also has the live stream component, different ticket prices based on the two things. And unfortunately, they do have to lower their staff a bit, but, you know, hanging in there. So I think their priorities are just uh, staying open when it comes to mm -hmm. that. Yeah, staying alive. Mm -hmm, exactly. Because yeah. if you can stay alive until we get some vaccines and more people can move about more freely and maybe there's some rational decisions like, okay, let's go to 40% capacity, let's go to 60% capacity, et cetera, then you can move forward, but you got to stay afloat until then. Hmm. Yeah, I think just to give some additional explanation to the venue situation, um, the government has uh, implemented a program to support um, the venues, music venues, and uh, for the period of uh, shortened operating hours, uh, clubs and restaurants have been compensated up to uh, $15,000 per month. So uh, it was sufficient for small venues and small restaurants, but uh, not, not sufficient at all for large clubs. So uh, relatively large clubs and large restaurants uh, have closed down uh, quickly. And uh, now um, the Tokyo Metropolitan Government uh, has um, amended that program a little bit. So the upper limit uh, has been increased, but still the largest ones uh, cannot sustain with that level of support. And uh, the industry association, uh, the, the association of uh, music clubs uh, are lobbying together with us uh, for more um, support, financial support. But I, I think uh, we should rather take a different approach, uh, which is, um, which is uh, convincing the society and the government uh, to go back to normal rather than trying to um, develop a patchwork um, remedy programs for those affected um, venues and uh, affected companies. Uh, because it's, it's limitless if we keep doing this. Mm -hmm. So I would say, um, you know, staying alive is the first priority. And to do so, uh, we should really try to get back to normal as uh, we get more vaccines. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that added comment. Uh, talk, uh, Lauren, anything to add? 
No, I mean, I think I think April and Todd covered about about all of it. You know, okay. um, even though we've pivoted to live streams, our clients are festival organizers and venues and event organizers. And, and if they can't keep the doors open, you know, what will happen to all those events that we sell tickets for? You know, we're really, mm-hmm. really concerned, especially with the festivals where they have this big gamble once a year. And it's like, okay, well, let's skip last year. Do we skip this year too? How many years are we waiting? Mm-hmm. And how many people's, you know, livelihoods are at risk? And so, yeah, really, really yeah, staying alive sounds like the, the key issue to me too. That's our theme tonight, <laughs> staying alive. Um, uh, or today for you all, tonight for me. But um, anyway, uh, so this is a question for April. April, you know, what has your community-level government done to to boost music, and, and what do you think they'll be doing in 2021 and beyond? Uh, well, I can't really guess what they'll do beyond. Um, we can hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, but How about some, that? Yeah, yeah. What some do you hope of the different uh, ward areas have small art program grants that they did not have before. That they're doing that to support artists, to support kind of community festivals. Again, where the venues are collaborating, the the the, the kind of ward is supporting that. Um, also, previously the wards were not no, they were not interested in promoting live house events. They did not, you know, they cared about their own events that were held at the city hall. So like the orchestra or whatever was performing there, they would promote that, but they did not promote other things. Uh, So I have seen, for instance, in my own community, um, the actual city hall is now promoting uh, live house events on Mm. website and in posters and stuff that they did not do before. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are also hosting live house events sometimes. So they're paying the rent to a venue to, and then having artists perform, which is something that that they didn't do before. They, they had their own kind of performance hall, which is, you know, again, for classical music or jazz, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So they didn't step outside the realm of, say, uh, I don't want to say of, of uh high class music or whatever we want to call it um but now they're stepping into rock or supporting their local musicians by actually renting a venue putting on a small fest of their own that is Mm -hmm. incorporating all the different genres and and helping with that and then uh giving the artists uh suggestions of where they can go for assistance from what venue and, and how to promote and things like that doing even educational programs on site at the city hall office to musicians of how to promote your event, how to do live streaming, uh, what you need to do to set up. Wow, that is so fascinating. The I can't city say hall all of them involved. are doing that. I just know that some of them are doing some that. of them. Okay, well, still that that's very fascinating. Uh, talk what what public policies you know when as you work with your government what what public policies have you been advocating for and and I'll, I Lauren as well uh, any of any in particular yeah um uh we have been working on basically three things um number one is uh, providing um better rescue program for venues in particular and number two 
uh, working with the Recording Industry Association of Japan to develop a kind of pilot platform where DJs can perform published songs without pre-authorization. Mm. And number three, uh, which is the hardest one, is uh, um, safety net programs, a new safety net program for artists. Uh, and we are thinking about something like the one in Germany, where uh, mm-hmm. social insurance uh, premiums are paid 50% by individual artists, 30% by event promoters, and 20% by the government. Uh, we don't know yet if um, it's going to take off, but uh, that's mm-hmm. the kind of thing uh, we should be really working hard to, to develop going forward. Oh, mm. that sound like fantastic like initiatives. What's that, um, April? So I'm sure it's thanks to JNEA, but uh, initially when COVID hit and many venues were having to close completely for a while, trying to apply for grants for small business relief, a lot of live houses couldn't get them because the government wasn't supporting them then. And I know that friends that manage venues, they were doing crazy things. Like they were going to Costco to buy cases of chips and soda so that they could Hmm. say that their venue was also a restaurant because that was the only way they could get relief is, well, if you're a restaurant that has music, we'll help you. But if you're just a music venue, not so important. But at this point, many venues are now able to apply for some of that support without faking that they are also having a restaurant menu. So I think that that's very good. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Todd. <laughs> thank you, Todd. <Tom. laughs> well, I'm sure, thank I'm sure that's something to do with it. <gasps> yes. Uh, Lauren, anything to add to that? Sure. I mean, you know, we're, we're on the platform side. So mm-hmm. we're, you know, a monetization tool and, and a private company and, and we don't do a ton of lobbying, but I would say we we do make an effort for whether it's um, there's a program called Go to Event here that the government does uh, that gives 20% discounts to purchasers, but pays that money to organizers up front. But actually, the ticketing companies pay that money up front. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of paperwork involved and things like that, and we support spend a lot of resources supporting that. So there's like a little extra cash going to these event organizers. And we also, there's another program called JLOD, which will help with event planning and cover production budgets. And Mm -hmm. we put together a lot of paperwork that people need for those applications. So we're really trying to help these like smaller, um, you know, uh, sort of organizers or venues with limited resources uh, have everything they need to take advantage of these programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of a paperwork machine or I don't know what you want to call it, but yeah. we try to do our part to make sure that everything, cause we're not going to get any, you know, we're, we're a ticketing company, so we don't get any funds, but we help them mm-hmm. get as much as they possibly can so that we can all just keep going. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Fantastic. Well, you all are doing such fascinating things and, and you all are doing so much for Japan's music ecosystem. I really appreciate you all sharing your experiences and what you're what you're facing as you plow the road ahead. Uh, is there anything else as we as we draw this conversation to a close? Is there anything else any of you would like to add? We're good. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, uh, just oh. thank you. Yeah, thank you for this opportunity. Yeah. Some yeah. Countries and- 
Oh, our pleasure. Our pleasure. And uh, with that, again, we'll bring it to a close. And I, I just want to thank all the listeners for checking out this version of the Amplify Music Communities session uh, as we've taken a look again at the second biggest music market in the world in Japan. And uh, you can learn more about our programs at amplifymusic.org slash communities and subscribe to our podcast feed for even more episodes as we look at other cities, states, countries, and regions. And thank you very much. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.